Romans chapter 5, verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So tonight I have a simple message with a simple title, Obedience. So we'll just pray, Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, Lord Jesus, your everlasting, Lord God, mercy that endures forever, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. And tonight, as I bring your word that you've laid in my heart, Lord, that I would just be a messenger, a deliverer, God, and that your word would be well received and that it would change our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Romans Uh, centers on the gospel message being the power of God that brings us salvation. That we're not under the Old Testament law, but we live under grace and by faith. And we read in Romans 5 specifically about the power of one man's choice and how it affected all of humanity. One man's disobedience, Adam's sin. We were all made sinners by one man's choice or one woman, the both of them together, they sinned sinful nature within each of us is passed down through the generations you don't it's you don't get a choice you are born you've got a sinful nature it's there because one man made a bad choice at the beginning of time to disobey god's command we all have sinful nature but one but by one man's obedience jesus came he was that one man the perfect sinless sacrifice and was obedient unto death so we could be given the choice to become righteous. We don't have to stay in our sinful state. We can change. We can be different. It shows the power of a decision. Disobedience brought about a certain destiny for all mankind, every single person. Obedience also brought about a certain destiny for those that wanted to choose it. So what is obedience? What does it mean to obey? Well, Now that my garden's kind of died, I'm not using that as an example much anymore, but I'm using the kids in my neighborhood. (laughs) So I asked some of them today and yesterday, you know, what do you think obedience means? I thought, oh, I'll just see what kids think. So some of the answers were to be kind. I was like, okay. One of them said to do right. One of them said to do wrong. So I think they were thinking I said disobey. (laughs) And one of them just blurted out, oh, that boy must have been pretty nice. And I was like, what boy? Oh, that guy that died on the cross. I was like, oh, yeah, that's Jesus. <laughs> um, and as much as I enjoyed receiving their comments and their answers, it didn't really give me the true definition of obedience. But obedience in Romans 5 means to hear and submit to an authority over you. In other words, to do what you're told. And it reminds me of the times when parents, my parents, just do what you're told, just do what I say. <laughs> And, you know, you send your kids off to someone else's house and you hope that they just do what they're told. Obedience is to be willing to comply with or submit to someone over you. And God takes obedience and disobedience very seriously. Disobedience is sin. When we choose not to obey him, then we are choosing sin. Romans 6 and 16 says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Whoever we allow to rule over us, they become our master. If we choose to disobey, we choose sin and ultimately death. If we choose to be obedient to the word of God, then we choose righteousness and ultimately eternal life. 
The end of Romans 6 states that the wages or the payment of sin or disobedience is death. But the gift of God, if we accept it, is eternal life through the gospel. Are you thankful for that tonight? Amen. Amen. We didn't have to stay where we were. So there are two different types of sin that I want to speak about. There's sins of commission and sins of omission. <laughs> so sins of commission or um, sins that we com- uh, are sins that we commit by doing something that we shouldn't do. It's the type of sin we're most familiar with. Many times sins that we do are easily recognizable. Someone who beats someone up or someone steals something from someone else. Someone who swears. It normally affects someone else. And then there are sins of omission. And the word omission just means to leave something out or undone or to neglect. Sins, that, uh, sins of omission are sins that we commit by not doing something that we should be doing. This is the sins that quite often are much easier for us to hide from others. Sins of omission are perhaps the most dangerous for us in our Christian walk because many times they aren't visible. An example of this is the rich young ruler. And we're just going to go from Mark chapter 10, the account there. The rich young ruler, young man, he comes to Jesus asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to be obedient and do what Jesus asks of him. And Jesus lists some of the Ten Commandments and the young man is, is the Ten Commandments are going on. He's like, oh yeah, okay. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. <laughs> you know, because he's done that. I've observed those things. I don't kill. I haven't stolen. I haven't lied. And when we come to Jesus with the question, what must I do? And that's not just a one-time question, by the way. That's an everyday thing. We must be ready for the answer. In Matthew's account, the young man said, what lack I yet? Obviously, there's still something I need to do. And when we come to the Lord and ask the same question, we need to be ready to receive and obey the answer. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 21, it says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. And we know that when the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful. He was grieved in his heart because he had great possession. And as far as we know, the rich young ruler, he didn't obey the word of God. He went away sorrowful. When we hear the word of God, we need to pray that we receive it with gladness. That when the Lord wants to correct and instruct us, we, we're hungry for that. We need to know, God, how do I get off this path? Where, where do I go right? I need to go right. And so with this young man, he, he was a good man. He didn't do the things that, you know, other people might have been doing. But when he asked the Lord specifically, the Lord answered specifically. <laughs> And the Lord has a way of knowing the things that hold us back as Christians. Most people would have looked at that young man and thought, what an upright citizen, honoring his mother and father and keeping all of those commandments. And yet the Lord was able to see to the heart, to the heart of this young man. That's why the word, it says the word of God is sharp. It pierces, it pierces to the intents of your heart. It knows, God knows where we're at. James 4 and 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And that's maybe the biggest thing for us as Christians because now we know. 
before you could be ignorant and uh, no one ever told me I don't know but when we come in to the church and we hear the word of God preached we have no excuse anymore the rich young ruler now knew what he had to do to inherit eternal life and if he didn't do it it would be disobedience to the word of God James 1 verse 22 to 24 says but be ye doers of the word there's action involved and not hearers only deceiving your own selves for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was and I have a story for this the other day I was at home in bed and I was sick and I got a knock at the door and can I tell you, I wished I had beheld my natural face in a mirror before I answered the door. But I didn't. I was sick and I was just kind of in a daze. Anyway, so I went and opened the front door and there stands a policeman. And he wanted to chat about the issues in my neighborhood. So I stood there chatting for probably about 20 minutes, just talking about everything that's been going on. And then I decided to go look in the mirror. And dear Lord, I quickly exited the bathroom went back to bed and I tried to forget what manner of man I had been standing before him. The word of God has some beautiful passages of scripture about how God loves us and his mercy endures and he died for us and saved us from sin. But there are some passages that kind of hit close to the heart. It doesn't give you a warm, fuzzy feeling. Sometimes you don't even realize it until it's too late. You're like, oh, the word of God is... And you're shocked because suddenly you see the person that you are compared to this Bible. When you look at it, when you look at it, the Word of God, and you, you run away from it, you're like, oh, I'll leave that for another day. And I, I just forget about who, I, who, who that Bible tells me I am, and I'll just pretend that I know I, I'm okay. I'm okay. You looked good while standing at the door talking to the policeman for 20 minutes. And it can look really harsh when we first see the true state that we're in. It can look really harsh the second time and the third time, and the fourth time, and so on, so on, so on. Unless we let the Word of God instruct us on how to change the things that we see in that mirror. We must always remember when the Lord asks us to do something, it is always, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, motivated by love for us. He looked on that young man, that young ruler, and he said he loved him. He loved him. Jesus Christ is the end from the beginning. He sees the puzzle already done, not just the little pieces that you kind of go, what is that? I don't, how does that fit in here? You, we don't see it until it comes to that piece fitting. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, there it goes. And the picture starts to widen. But we don't see that whole picture. But he does. The easy stuff, the hard stuff, the in-between, everything he asks of us is for our benefit everything so let's look at an example in the bible we're going to turn to first samuel chapter 15 first samuel chapter 15 the amalekites back in exodus um, when the israelites had come out of egypt they came and made war against israel and israel wasn't ready they were weak they didn't have any structure at the time and the amalekites destroyed a lot of people and at that point, God, he, he doesn't forget. <laughs> when someone comes against the, the people of God, he didn't forget what the Amalekites did to Israel all those years before. And now in First, chap- uh, First Samuel chapter 15, it's time to receive their payment. 
for what they did. And in verse 3 it says, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. He was, Saul was told to destroy everything, even the babies. Not something that we understand as humans. We kind of go, oh, the what? But God knew. God knew what would happen if anything, anyone, anything that was somehow connected to Amalek was allowed to stay around. So Saul took the Israelites and they went and defeated Amalek. And we pick it up in verse 13. It says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, Hmm, what means then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Why do I hear the sound of animals that should have been destroyed in the war? And Saul said, They have bought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Don't worry, Samuel, we've done good. We did most of what the Lord said. We kept his commands, except we thought we would be best to keep some of those animals to give God a sacrifice. Oh, how spiritual that seemed. And yet verse 22 and 23 says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken or listen carefully than the fat of rams. For rebellion, this is what God called what Saul thought he was doing was good. It was rebellion. It says, The sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You know, we joke about being stubborn. I'm very stubborn. But it says it's sin. It's idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Let me tell you, sacrifice never, ever comes before obedience. Ever. There may be things that you need to sacrifice to the Lord or for the Lord, but it's because he's asked you to do it. And as churchgoers, we have this mentality that if I'm doing this and I'm running around and doing that, being Martha and just sacrificing for the Lord, I haven't murdered, I haven't sworn, you know, I haven't taken drugs. We think that if we've sacrificed a lot, that we're somehow in obedience to God. And don't get me wrong, the Lord says to present ourselves as a living sacrifice before God, acceptable unto him, but an acceptable sacrifice is an obedient sacrifice sacrifice. What Saul should have done is killed all of those lambs and all of those ox and taken some from his own set of lambs and set of oxes and cows and gone and given a sacrifice once he's obeyed the Lord. Samuel said it's better to obey than to sacrifice. If we go around doing all this for the Lord, sacrificing all our money and time, and yet he's asking us to obey in some little thing, or to let something go, to forgive, to do something, and we haven't done what he asked, then all of our doing really comes to naught. He doesn't see that as an acceptable sacrifice. To, to him, you are in disobedience. You are separated from God, and he despises it. Why? Why does he despise disobedience? 
Well, there's a number of reasons, and here are just a few. One, it shows our misplaced fear. Verse 24 of 1 Samuel 15 gives some of Saul's response to the Lord, and he said, I feared the people and obeyed them. Saul and the people of Israel were told a number of times by Samuel to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. But instead, Saul feared the people that they might be displeased with him as king rather than fearing God and that it may actually displease him. And we should never ever lose our reverence and our respect for the holiness of God for the singularity of who he is. He is God and there is no one beside him. No man can take the place of God. He is God and God alone. No one comes before him. We must not fear people when it comes to obeying God. He will cover us. He will protect us when we obey him rather than man. The second reason he despises disobedience is it shows our desire for pleasure rather than his presence. Saul tried to cover up the true desire that was in the people and in, um, and in Saul by saying that he kept the animals for a holy purpose, for sacrifice. But Samuel knew otherwise because he says in verse 19, you did fly upon the spoil, meaning as an eagle or a vulture. They came on those animals to devour them, to feed off them for their meat, for their greed. Their pleasure should have been in God in that he had allowed them to defeat the enemy that had once defeated them, that he had given them the power to overcome the enemy. But instead, their desire was in the temporary pleasures of the flesh. Disobedience shows our hunger for fleshly things. Instant gratification, and yes, sometimes when we disobey... It doesn't always, it's not out of a, oh my goodness, I just need this. You know, it's not always a, 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 this overwhelming desire. But right down in the, in the crux of the issue, it's about pleasure. It's about instant gratification rather than spiritual things and the things that will last for eternity. And three, it shows our desire for our own wisdom. Verse 23 says that this disobedience was rebellion. It was like the sin of witchcraft trying to consult with another source of wisdom, some other spirit, some other thing out there, trying to seek out what to do in a way that ignores the word and counsel of God. I don't like that, so I'm just going to go and ask someone else. I'll just ask my peers. Oh, they say it's all right, so it's okay. God says one thing, we say, I think I'll consult another source. And usually that source of wisdom is us. It's me. I consult myself. Disobedience of God's word puts my own wisdom in the place of God's and thus insults God as the only sure and reliable source of wisdom. If Saul had obeyed the Lord and kept the commandment that he required of him, the kingdom would have been his forever, forever. The Lord desired to give Saul the kingdom and establish it for Saul. But because of this sin of omission, because he left something out, he didn't do something he was meant to do. The word of God says that the Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel or ripped it from you this day. When we disobey, we lose out with God. We think we're getting something. We, oh yeah, I'm getting pleasure. I'm getting my way. But in actual fact, we lose out. 
when we don't do something he has asked of us, we are in opposition to him. And we will feel a disconnect from God unless we make it right. And there are many feelings that come with disobedience. There's sometimes confusion, conflict within ourselves, hate, loss, shame, guilt, regret. The list goes on and it's a horrible feeling. I know when I have been disobedient to God, it's the worst feeling. You see, as the children of God, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We now have two members warring inside of us. When we give over to the member that is our flesh, we will feel internal conflict because the Spirit of God is at odds with the sin that's in our lives. He can't dwell with sin. And that's why we feel this struggle, this grief, this sorrow. And we start to get angry with God and we accuse Him. It was your fault. You made me do it because of whatever. You made me wait. You made me this. You made me that. And we get angry with those around us thinking how bad others are to make ourselves feel better, right? We look around and go, oh, well, I'm not as bad as them. And we get angry with ourselves because I knew better. I knew I shouldn't have done that. And now I've done it. And now look at what I've done. And yet we still decide to disobey again. <laughs> and hearing all of that makes me want to obey. I want to obey because obedience brings the opposite of disobedience. And Jesus is our greatest example of obedience. In Hebrews 5, verse 7 to 9, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. It was through his suffering that he became obedient. When we are connected to God every day, like it says he offered up prayers and supplications before God, when we offer up prayer and we offer up requests to him, he is able to help us through whatever we may face. It was through his obedience to that suffering that he was made perfect and he became our salvation. The reason we can be here now is because he was obedient. By one man's obedience, the ability to become righteous was available to us. And Philippians 2 and 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Hallelujah. I wonder what would happen if we were faced, we are faced with that every day. We are faced with that choice every day. Am I going to deny myself and take up my cross? Am I going to die? Matthew chapter 7 Verse 24 to 27, if we want to turn there, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verse 24 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. Does anyone feel like that sometimes? And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, 
and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it when we obey we have a strong foundation so that when adversity comes we aren't destroyed and turned so quickly to disobey instead we can stand firm on the word and obey it Saul didn't obey the sayings of the Lord and so built his kingdom on sand he built it on sand and the house fell and great was the fall of it he lost everything to him that was dear every single thing came out of where he was he he had nothing left when adversity comes my way I want to be able to withstand it and the way to do that is through obedience one of the other things that obedience helps us with this is John uh, in John chapter 9 verse 31 says but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will him he heareth if we do his will if we obey he will hear us when we pray if you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceilings sometimes it might be because we need to get some disobedience out of our lives Romans 2:13 says for not the hearers of the law are just before God people that hear the law that doesn't mean anything but the doers of the law shall be justified when we do what he asks we receive righteousness we are justified and the greek word for that says that we are innocent and holy there's no blame on us because we haven't disobeyed we're innocent we're clean when we do what god asks there isn't that horrible feeling of guilt and shame because we did what was right James 1 and 25 says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed, blessed in his deed. The person that continues in doing the word of God, not just hearing it, is blessed in that doing. We will be blessed in the very act of keeping the word of God. And the greatest one, I think, is Revelation twenty two fourteen. Blessed are they that do his commandments, they that, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. When we do what the Lord asks, all of it, not just repentance, baptism in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost, we've got to do that first. There's no getting away from that. But there are things that we have to do after that. It doesn't just finish there. If we do all that God asks of us and we stay right with him, we gain access to heaven. We gain access to heaven, whether it's being baptized in Jesus' name or even the simplest command of praying every day. It's all the word of the Lord. And when we do what he says, we gain access to heaven. Now, it's all well and good to say, you know, okay, obey and list all these blessings and think, okay, yep, I've got this, yep, I'm going to obey. But if we're honest, (laughs) there are many times when we don't obey, even though we know it's good for us to obey, even though we know we will feel bad after not doing what he says, yet we still go and do it. So why do we struggle to obey? Why? Well, I want to give one reason why I think maybe sometimes we struggle to do completely what he asks of us. John 14 and verse 21 says, He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 23 and 24 says, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, 
and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loves me, he that loves me not, keeps not my sayings and the word which you hear is not mine but the father's which sent me. The Lord says here that it is because of our love for him that makes us want to keep his commandments. In those first moments of dating someone, You'll do anything for the other person. When Chelsea and David first started dating, she'd make him cups of tea and make him dinner and we all had to fend for ourselves. It's the same with the Lord. Sometimes there are some things he wants us to do that we may not particularly enjoy. You know, one day, you know, when I'm married, I'll cook for my husband. And yeah, I don't particularly enjoy cooking, but because I love my husband, I'll cook for him because that's the right thing to do. And the Lord sometimes doesn't give us things we want to do but things that are good for us. Things like, you know, um, prayer, getting up early in the morning. It's not something I like doing, especially in winter, but it's what God wants of me to do. Or reading my Bible when I could be reading, you know, some great fiction story that, you know, is so, it just grabs me when in actual fact, the Bible has so many amazing stories in it. But because I love him, I will do what he asks. Because his love is amazing and I want to please him. Am I saying that when I don't obey him, when I do something that I shouldn't or don't do something that I should, that I don't love God? Well, not entirely. Because I know that deep in our hearts, we do. We do want to love God. We do want to please him. And God sees that. But there is a deeper issue that can cause disobedience. When we keep his commandments, we do it because we love him. It's a response to our love for him. It's a response, sorry, yes, to our love for him. So if we're struggling to keep his commandments, maybe it is because our love for him isn't what it should be. And why do we love him? Because he first loved us. If our love for him is not in the right place, it may be because we aren't accepting his love for us. The majority of us, I can, well, I can testify to it. I'm sure everyone here can, will or have had a hard time accepting God's love at some point or another. We all come to him at times feeling like we're too bad, we're messed up, we're worthless, too much for the love of God. But we need to start believing the word of God and what it says about his love for us. If we can get that right, if we can receive his love, then we'll be much more able to love him and then we'll also be able to keep his commandments because it stems from a foundation of understanding his love for us. So what does the word of God say about his love? There's so many different things you could say, but some of them are as God's love is steadfast, faithful and unconditional. It doesn't come and go with our moods. Could you imagine if it did? It'd be gone half the time. But his love stays. He is faithful. He sticks around even when we mess up. When we're filled with the Holy Ghost, his love is poured into our hearts. That's how we first accept the love of God. It's through that complete surrender to him and saying, I need you. And Ben can be filled with the Holy Ghost just like that. That's God showing his love. God's love is sacrificial. He gave his life for us because he loved us. God's love is the motivator for everything that he does in our lives. God is love. There's so many things that the Bible says about God, but the one thing that it says God is, is love. And we need to be reminded that he loves us. 
And if he loves us, he will look after us. When bad things happen, we question God sometimes. If we're really honest with ourselves, we question him. Why did you allow this? I know I've done it. Not out of hate or just, it's just this question. Why? I've, I've done so much for you. I'm so good. Why did you, why didn't you stop this from happening? Why do I feel this way? And we start pointing fingers at him because we forget that his ways are not our ways. He sees the end from the beginning and can see the big picture. So even though it may look and feel like he doesn't care, we must be reminded that when he allows things to happen, when he asks us to obey something that we may not understand, it's because he loves us and wants to see the best in us. This morning, pastor spoke about the woman who was told by the prophet to do something, to go and get vessels. Why? Who are you to tell? What if she hadn't obeyed? What if she hadn't got vessels? We always see the whole story and go, wow, that's so awesome. But I bet you she questioned at one point, what? This is just crazy. You're a crazy old prophet. You don't know what you're talking about. But her son, her sons would have been taken to prison. Her sons would have gone to prison and she would have died. She would have died. She wouldn't have had anyone to look after her. But she obeyed the voice of the man of God, which really is the voice of God in our lives. When the shepherd says something to us, we need to obey it. She trusted that the man of God knew what he was doing. She trusted that God knew what he was doing. And when we truly accept the love of God for us, in whatever state he finds us, we can then truly love him. And when we know he loves us and wants the very best, it's easy to love him. When you know someone loves you and wants the best for you, it's easy to love them back. It really is. You don't have to force love when someone loves you. You just, it's just, you want to do things for them. You want to help them. If we turn to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Starting at verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect. Why? The verse before says, Because we dwell in love, we dwell in him. When you spend time with someone long enough, your relationship with them becomes more intimate. You love each other more and more. And my dad, quite often I'll hear him say that his love for mum is much deeper than it was when they first were together. Because they've been through some things together. They've been through some adversity. They've spent years with one another. And so if we can spend more time with Jesus, if we can dwell in his presence, our love will be complete. And we will be able to understand that the Lord is not out to make our lives hard. It isn't always out to punish you and make it so that you can't enjoy life. But he does want you to have the best life that you can have. 
the best life that he knows. He wants to see you make it to heaven, which is better than anything on this earth. And so there are times he is going to ask you something that you've got to let go of or do. There's going to be some things that you have to give up that you may not really want to do. This is one example from my own life. Because, you know, we can talk about the Bible and examples from the Bible, but it was so long ago. Well, this is a current one for me. It's my job. And I am very thankful that God has blessed me with a job. I'm incredibly blessed. It was the 11th hour for me, literally. (laughs) And I needed a job to pay for my home. And God has blessed me with that. It's well-paying. It's a good organization to work for. It's stable. But it's not the kind of job I really want. (laughs) And many times I sit at work doing nothing, like literally nothing. I spend a lot of time doing church stuff, music, or, you know, just trying to find things to do. Because quite often my boss is traveling, and when he travels, he's too busy to send emails or whatever so you just kind of eh. and for a choleric if there's any cholerics in the house you know that's torture it is absolute torture to sit there and do nothing and we're also about to move offices to the new hospital and that means three hours a day of travel three whole hours of travel I think of that as that's like a third of my day just gone like that and again it's not easy to spend that amount of time just sitting on a train back and forward thinking oh my goodness all the things I could be doing I could be doing a bible study with someone I could be practicing a piano I could be doing more in my neighborhood I could be doing all these things for Jesus or all the boring stuff like cooking and cleaning as well and it's a struggle it's a struggle to sit there and know that I'm not able to do those things that my heart wants to do but I was praying the other day and the Lord reminded me that it is better to obey than to sacrifice oh yes I could be doing a bible study I could be spending time at the church doing the Lord's work or hanging out with the kids in my neighborhood, furthering the kingdom of God. But for right now, God wants me in that job. I know it. I don't, you know, I probably don't even have to pray about it. I know that he wants me there. He wants me to be obedient, obedient. And so I've been praying every day recently, whatever you want, Lord, if it is to stay there for however long, if it means 10 years of traveling three hours a day, whatever it is, I want to be obedient to him. It's in my best interest to do what he asks of me. By one man's sin, disobedience entered into the world and it changed the world forever. But also by one man's obedience, righteousness became available to everyone. Staying at my job, being obedient in this one thing may mean someone else's salvation. It may mean someone else being saved. And that person might be at my job. It might be on the three hours of travel on that train. I could be sitting next to someone who wants to be saved. And we heard this morning about how we need to look up. There are so many people on that train, desperate, desperate for something more. Getting someone saved, seeing someone's soul come out of sin and bondage. That's worth a hundred hours of travel. That's worth more than any travel. It's worth more than any hour of sitting there doing nothing. When we understand and accept his love for us, then we can love him and love others. And then we can truly obey him because we know he is in control and won't do anything that won't bring out the best in us. There are some things that are going to cause pain. Yes, without a doubt, there are going to be things that cause pain. But it was through Jesus' suffering that he learnt obedience and we were then able to be saved. 
there is a greater picture here. There is a greater story than just our every day. But then again, the every days make up the big story. So do I always bound out of bed ready to face the day, excited to go to telethon kids? No. I'll be honest, no. But I can tell you that when I've prayed in the morning for the Lord to help me obey and to surrender to his will, it is so much easier. We need to quit looking too far ahead, looking at the mountain. You know, I think, oh, how many more days do I have to be here? Obedience is not perfection. It's not something that we do once and it's all sorted. It's one day, one day at a time, one day, just today, just today. Matthew 6, 34 says, take therefore no thought for the morrow. Don't worry about what's going to come tomorrow for the morrow shall take thought for the things it's coming. You don't need to add any extra worry. It's already there ready for you tomorrow. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's enough for you to worry about today. There is enough for you to obey today. And for us who follow Jesus, so often the battle is in the basics. We kind of want to go save the world, and do miracles and raise people from the dead. And he's just saying, can you just do this little thing for me? We'll get to that in the week or whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll sort that out. But today I want you to do this. It's just a daily prayer of, Lord, help me to be obedient today. If he supplies my daily needs, if he gives us daily bread, if today is the day of salvation, then we only have to worry about today. We don't have to worry about tomorrow or the day after. I need to be obedient today. Isaiah 1 and 19 says, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. There is so much blessing in being obedient. When I surrender to his will, there is no more conflict. No more conflict. And I can tell you that's the best feeling in the world. I've said it to a number of people recently. You don't realize until it's gone how free you are and how no, there's no burden. There is nothing between you and God. It's like this, this pipe or this conduit, just nothing in between. It just flows. It just flows. There's nothing between you and God. I finally surrendered to what he wants. And it's the best feeling, best feeling. Ephesians 3, verse 17 to 20, and I'm coming to a close, says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. The power of the Holy Ghost is resident in you and me. It's the power that works in us to do the right thing, to obey, to be obedient in the little things, in the little things. God, who do you want me to come into contact with today? How do you want me to respond today to this situation that I'm struggling with? What do you want from me today? My prayer each day is, Lord, just today, let me hear your voice. Let me hear what you want me to do and order my steps. Order my steps. Where do you want me to go? Let me be in your presence and pray today. Let me be obedient 
just today. Amen. God bless you.